new technology, never been tested in a human being. Right. Bad outcomes in the animals that it had been tested in. And within a year's time, you're telling me it's safe and effective. And within a few months, you're telling me there's no long-term health issues associated with this thing. Yeah. Where are we running to Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the Somewhat Helpful Podcast. So glad you are joining us today. This is the podcast where we set the bar remarkably low so that we can consistently exceed your expectations. Uh, All jesting aside, the Somewhat Helpful Podcast, the intention is to explore all kinds of aspects of life and culture, primarily through a Christian lens. Uh, So with that said, I hope that today's episode is going to be helpful to you and beneficial to you and enjoyable. I have a great friend with me today, and that is Lance Hagler. I've been wanting to have this conversation with Lance for a long time, and I'm really excited about what we're going to talk about today. We're going to get into, oh my goodness, uh, what we could spend probably 48 hours talking about and never even scratch the surface, and that is the COVID mania, uh, the COVID craziness of the past what is it, two years, three years? Working on three. Working on three years now. So uh, Lance has had kind of a unique seat and position in his, his education and career and uh, and I think even his personality to really dig and, and get to the bottom of things and look for, for what's true and what's not uh, has given him a real unique perspective in this. So without further ado, uh, Lance, would you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, Adam, thanks for uh, having me and um, being one of, I guess, your first guests on this podcast. Yeah. I appreciate being one of the low bars um, <laughs> that we're trying to try, trying to keep low. I, uh, maybe I should have saved you for later. I think no, 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 no. You got me right at the right spot here, so <laughs> we're good. So, uh, but yeah, so I am a pharmacist. Um, I got my PharmD from Auburn back in 2006, and uh, uh, upon that, uh, my wife and I we moved back here to Dothan, where I was a, a clinical pharmacist um, at a local healthcare facility here in Dothan for for 16 years Mm -hmm. and um, another piece of me that kind of made my situation I think unique um, during this whole thing is we also were uh, we owned a CrossFit gym um, for about eight years yeah and um, so I was able to you know come to this from a I guess a classically trained medical background but also a health and fitness right background that really provided a unique perspective especially when i was the patients that i was seeing in the hospital um that were dealing with COVID 19 the complications from COVID 19 um, and from what i was seeing from people who were not as affected mm-hmm. by COVID 19 and um all of the issues associated with COVID 19 so um it's really kind of an interesting perspective um, that I was able to see through kind of two different lens, uh, which was kind of helped me able to balance out what we were being told versus kind of what was actually yeah. happening in the real world. Right, right. And I'll take a quick rabbit trail or side note. Uh, forgive me for my uh, sniffing and coughing and anything else. I'm going to try to keep all that out of the, the audio, uh, but I'm fighting off some sort of head cold or something like that. So uh, we're, we're still going to make the conversation as, as good as it can get. But that is a that does give you, I think, a unique perspective of having both of those seats 
Um, and how long had you been into health and fitness and CrossFit and that? Is that something you've done all your life? Yeah, I've been stayed pretty healthy, but I really got, I guess, big time into it around 2009. Okay, um, so it, you, yeah, you spent plenty of time in that world as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. Gotcha. So where were you when, oh, goodness, I'm so bad with the dates, but when, let's say when we first started hearing about COVID, about this potential worldwide pandemic, uh, we started seeing some of the, the footage from China, which we've had to, uh, as time went on, kind of sort through and see what was staged and what was real. And that's that's kind of always what you have to do with a, a communist government with the video you see coming out of there. Uh, but where were you at that time when we when the first um, the first signals started coming up and first started coming to conversation? Well, uh, yeah, I guess that was around what December of 2019, early okay. January of 2020 yeah. is when mm-hmm. we really started hearing it, seeing about it coming into the United States, yeah. and um, you know, honestly, I kind of just. I guess from just history and other pandemics, whether it be the swine flu, the right. bird flu, yeah, the Ebola scare, yeah, all yeah. these things, I you know generally take a let's just see kind of what happens and not freak out about things until yeah. we kind of have more information on it. So yeah. that's kind of generally where where you know yep. I sit on these things because you know we, I, I, we want to take precautions and be cautious about things, but. Just my general nature, my personalities. I'm not going to get too worked up over sure. things unless there's good reason to get too worked up over things. So, um, so yeah, we were kind of sitting there. But I remember the first big way it kind of affected us was that uh, I guess it started. That was kind of we started it getting into the United States big time, kind of that spring. Mm-hmm. And um, that was it. I just remember shutting down our rec baseball season. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was kind of the, you know. Right. And uh, Yeah, because yeah, it's hard. It's it's difficult to even go back there now because so much has transpired since that time. But but even the things that, that are common knowledge now, such as that there's so low risk when you're outdoors, like that was not known at that time. It was a question. So everything was, was shutting down. Yeah, everything was shutting down. I mean, they were yeah, school <clears throat> soccer and baseball. I mean, schools closed down shortly yeah. after that. So, um, you know, these were all unprecedented right. events, Yeah, you know. Um, and But even then, when all this stuff was happening, I was still personally skeptical um, not but not because I hadn't seen how bad it could be because there were certain patients that COVID nineteen it wreaked havoc on. Yeah, yeah, it was it was as bad as advertised in certain subsets right. of the population. Right. Um, so you were as a pharmacist during that time. What would you were seeing patients, or how, how did how did your normal interactions go with with actually uh, seeing and interacting with the individuals that had COVID? Yeah, like I said, I guess. I was doing more behind-the-scenes stuff when it came to dosing their medications, right? Looking mm-hmm. at their histories, looking at their backgrounds, looking sure. at their comorbidities. It makes sense, um, you know, and helping dose their medications and get medications for them, you know, because everything was still so new, and you know, we went through all the different things that were good to try one day, and then we were not allowed to try the next day, um, right. you know. So we were kind of going, you know, and, and and as the therapies came through, so uh, you know, I was. 
and I was keeping a close eye on just out of interest, out, out of seeing what their health was like when they came to us, when they were hospitalized, when they were put in the unit. Yeah. Um, so I was just out of curiosity because while it, by the time it had come to the United States, we actually did have a lot of data from other countries that right. we could see and look at. And the first thing that kind of piqued my interest was when we looked at the deaths from these other countries, um, the the people that were dying were older than what the average length of life was. Oh wow! At that time for this wow. country, so yeah, um, you know, and when you started digging into the data on some of them, you saw that were health conditions and yeah. age being one of them, but just the kind of the associated chronic health conditions that are associated with people who are aging. Um, you know, these were very, very evident. So even at that time, I was kind of like, you know that doesn't seem to be a, a virus that's just getting random healthy people right you know just based on the data out of other sure. countries so you know i was in you know when we first started seeing our first wave um then during that time in uh-huh. fact a lot of it was from i guess an outbreak that was across state lines that patients were being shipped here during that time or i guess were being sent over um during that time you know, I, I could tell early on that these were very generally unhealthy people to start right. with. You know, okay. and it was unfortunate. I mean, it was right, unfortunate. Of that, that, that doesn't things. mean that it's they're not important or valuable. But correct, but absolutely. When, you, when you're looking at, you know, as, as a non medical professional, it makes perfect sense to me that you have to look at you have to look at the realities of what the disease is is doing and who it's affecting and that doesn't mean that any life is more or less value, valuable than any other life absolutely but as a doctor you know or as a as a healthcare professional uh those individuals have to understand who is the most susceptible to this disease correct so that makes sense correct. that 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 was what you were noticing at that um, time you know and then as i would say the healthcare community started seeing these same trends generally then and that's when kind of the narrative started kind of shift. Well, you got to save grandma, right? So right. We got to, uh, we yep. got to, you got to put on a mask to save grandma. You yeah. got to do this to save grandma. And, um, of course, I guess mask is a big topic and one yeah. to get into that I was fortunate enough to have seen some literature before just based on what I, I, I had done and my, what my job was. And yep. um, so I kind of had a good idea that, you know the reason that we didn't just generally wear masks right when you were dealing with people with respiratory illnesses was because the data that we had up until that point showed that they were not useful right and you know even though the data wasn't statistically significant most of the data showed that mass cohorts transmitted the virus worse or there were higher rates of viral transmission mm-hmm between mask cohorts. I mean, hand washing was by far the biggest, best thing that you could do to reduce the spread of right. respiratory pathogens, you know? And, um, yep. and uh, so, you know, that's when that narrative started shifting. Was, so let's, I, I want to push pause on masks for just a second and, and go, and I do want to get there because that was a, that was one of those, again, as a, as a lay person in the medical field, that was one of those aha moments. It was almost like a fracturing of trust for me when I really began to see uh, data and I began to to look at individuals, I, I hear and read from individuals who understood the science behind that and could clearly explain why masks were not 
effective in the way that they were being promoted to be. And, and it, was, it was easy enough for me to understand with just, you know, reading it a little bit. And that was that fracturing of trust, another one of many fracturing of trust for me in the health authorities to realize this is clear. I'm like, you can tell me two plus two is five all day long, but when I can put four things on the table and I can count them, you know, two here, two here, one, two, three, four, I can see it. And I can see two plus two is four. And I can use my own reason and understanding to reach that conclusion. And I see that you're giving me a different, a different, uh, as a health authority, you're telling me something different. That's really concerning, you know, so that, that, um, got to that point. But before we get there, you mentioned, uh, as, as a pharmacist prescribing certain things. So could, could we go into, were you told, uh, or was it insinuated in some way that you could or could not prescribe certain, uh, medications, particularly medications like ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine or other ones that were, that have been, uh, contentious, I guess, uh, throughout this entirety, you know, what, what were you hearing from your higher ups? Yeah. Well, you know, I guess as pharmacists, we just kind of, you know, provide and get what the doctors order. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, you know, early on the first thing was the hydroxychloroquine and we used some hydroxychloroquine and I'm not one even saying that hydroxychloroquine would even early on would have been super efficacious, but we knew from years and years and decades of its use in rheumatoid arthritis and other diseases that it was a safe medication to use. Um, With very other limited options out there, um, I guess the mass like you was one of a big trust thing, but then the hydroxychloroquine, because medications are used all the time off-label for different things. Right. You know, I mean, just all the time, you know, yeah. and we, without even going down that, it's, it's, it does it every day, you know, I'm yeah. probably most, so that's a, like, literally that's you know, a daily thing. Yeah. So it, it really started raising red flags to me uh-huh. when we had a potential, you know, therapeutic option that whether if, it, whether it was exceptionally efficacious or not, um, we knew it was safe. Yeah especially safer than the ramifications of severe COVID. Sure. But yet we were told that, well, we didn't have the data, uh, randomized controlled clinical trials. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When, again, there are things all the time. We, there, there were not other, yeah, there, there weren't just other options that we could use that we had. So whenever we started seeing pushback from the so-called experts mm-hmm. that we couldn't use, you know, this drug. Did you get any other information from from sources as a pharmacist that maybe I wouldn't have seen? Because what I was seeing was the FDA, the CDC, you know, the, the Fauci, you know, these these other. Um, oh, well, was it Walensky? I don't remember if she was there at the time, but uh, just the the talking heads, you know, the, the health regulatory agency heads that would would say things or or maybe put out something on Twitter or you know uh some sort of guidelines. So that's what I saw and I remember clearly some ones that stuck out in my memory uh such as the Ivermectin uh I believe it was the FDA that that had put out some tweets and I'm not sure what other social media might have been on that you know essentially you're not a horse, you know, mm-hmm. stop it with the the Ivermectin and in 
to me, again, that's that's something you would say as to a child, or that's something that you would say if you were trying to push a certain narrative without being clear about the the data behind it. Say, you know, if if it's if you know that it's not effective at this, then say that. Say, hey, this is definitely not effective at prevent at treating or preventing COVID. Therefore. Uh, and there and are, are these risks from using this A B C D? That's that's the way a health body should work. That you know, correct. But that's not what I saw. It was do this, trust us. You know, and that to uh, I'm sorry, but I'm 40 years old, and and I learned a long time ago that when someone says trust me, <laughs> there's usually a reason they're saying that if they won't give you the the, the reasoning and the data behind it. Uh, so. And, and ivermectin was one that I personally looked into a lot, a lot more than hydroxychloroquine or, or some of the other potential alternatives. I think at the time, but did you have other channels of information that the, the common person wouldn't have as a pharmacist? Yes, but honestly, most of the information on that could be found and accessed by anybody. Yeah, but most people don't aren't going to go out searching for that information to find it wasn't easy to find sure. um you know it was much easier for the experts all of our alphabet soup organizations mm-hmm. just to spew this is what we got to do and do it right yeah and that's when i really started seeing the authoritarian nature of a lot of our yeah governmental agencies yeah. um they don't mind because of that because it was, the, the ivermectin was the same the second verse of the same song right of the hydroxychloroquine i mean same thing i mean it's something that you know was not just a horse drug i mean it was been used in humans yeah. usually in, for gi issues and uh, some other things but um you know it wasn't a new drug it wasn't a medication that had not been used in humans oh it, it had with again with good safety data showing yeah. that it's not terribly dangerous for us as humans to take so yeah you know what kind of happened because at that point we'd had the mask we'd had the hydroxychloroquine and we got to the ivermectin so public trust was already kind of you know lost yeah with these organizations and so what made the ivermectin piece dangerous was the fact that when they started disallowing doctors and pharmacists to prescribe and dispense it you had patients literally going to veterinarians and sources for or right. going to these places that sold horse ivermectin yeah. and trying to get it from themselves. So then you're looking at them using preparations that aren't meant for hu- humans right? with maybe less of ability to be able to dose it correctly. Right. Um, you know, so, so you took something that, you know, again, whether it was – again most anything it's not going to be a cure you know that that's i think where there were some doctors early on that kind of i didn't like the way they kind of came out so we got this cure sure for, you know i thought when they it's kind of the sense the other it's the other side of the coin um yeah. because you know nothing's going to be 100 percent efficacious nothing's right. going to prevent everybody from dying even yeah. if that particular physician used it in a bunch of patients and none of their patients got severe disease i mean that doesn't mean that it's a cure sure um but you know so I, I, and i think that kind of again I, the media and the experts yeah use that term loosely kind of got a hold of that some of those doctors early on that were proclaiming that this ivermectin right was a cure when in fact it wasn't a cure right but yeah getting back to the same point with the hydroxychloroquine we didn't have any other good options therapeutic right. options anyway yeah 
we know from past experience that it's a safe medication relatively sure. for most people to be able yep. to take, but yet we're not even, we refuse to even give it a fair shot. Why do you, why do you think that is? And, and I'll say as a, anecdotally, I remember reading, I think that ivermectin has been given, what, over 7 billion doses worldwide. I mean, it's just unbelievable if you look it's just as an as an individual if you want to look it up yourself look at just google safety profile ivermectin and of course you're going to get extremes right but if you get actually to the data you'll see that this has been given for what a decade or more around the world i mean on a regular basis with it was extraordinary i mean it was on the world health organization's essential medication list yeah yeah so so when you when you saw this happening and you saw that there was a strong discouragement toward potential effective medications. Red flag, you know, obviously, in the, as it was for me. But did you did you think why are they doing this? I mean, what did, did you begin to ask those oh, questions certainly. to yourself? Yeah. Certainly, yeah. And um, of course, this is just, we may not have those answers. This is just my opinion. Um, but. <clears throat> You can't get emergency use authorizations on medications yeah. like a potential injectable medication that might be used to potentially prevent or treat a certain disease if you have a legitimate therapeutic option out there to use. Yeah, that's right. And, the, and our, some of our listeners may not have heard that information, but that's, that's correct. When that emergency use authorization, EUA, was originally given for the mRNA shots, and, and as well as, I'm, I'm not sure if the, uh, there were a, a couple that are not mRNA-based. Is that correct? Uh, yes, there's a couple now. Yeah, uh, yeah, I can't remember which ones Johnson, are which. Johnson was an mRNA and then the Novavax. Um, now, were they all, I, I assume that they were all, I'm sure I could look it up, but all given that EUA, and it all, correct. that EUA is based on, if you look it up, the language sh- says that, uh, this is being given essentially because there is no alternative treatment. There's no alternative effective treatment. So as you mentioned, if these, right, if we're putting so much time and money, 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 you know, which it is always comes back to, but if we're so, putting so much time and money toward the, the the quick, the ultra fast, especially in terms of the, the normal process that a vaccine would go through as far as testing, um, we've, the, what was the term that, that Trump used for it? Um, warp speed. I think that's pretty correct. You know, the, the warp speed is that that's not normally how a vaccine is developed because there are so many safeguards and so many, uh, trials that it has to go through to make sure that there aren't unintentional side effects or consequences, not only immediately, but over time, you know, sometimes something, some, uh, side effect of a, of a medicine might emerge after a year or five years. You know, you hear that all the time. Oh yeah. If you've taken this drug, you know, you see the commercials. If you've taken this drug, then call us for our, you know, to get it on the class action lawsuit because it caused this thing that they didn't know about. So back to the warp speed of development of this uh, this drug and these vaccines. If all this time and money and effort had gone to to developing these and then all of a sudden we find that these medications that people have been taking for years and and have a great safety profile are very effective or even moderately effective at at treating this disease then i think 
I don't even think you have to look at a nefarious motive, but just look at a selfish motive of, I think if, if I go in and, t- and, and I'm the head of whatever agency or whatever, and I say, this is the path forward, this is what we have to do, this is the answer, and it's developing these, these vaccines. And then all of a sudden something comes up and it's, well, here's an alternative that's way cheaper and we already have it. And it actually shows that what you're doing is maybe not the best thing. There's very few people that are the heads of organizations that are going to say, you know what, maybe that's right. Maybe I made the wrong decision. I didn't have this information at the time. Maybe we need to backtrack and move a different direction. So I think it's especially governmentally, once you get the train run in a particular direction, it's hard to stop that thing, you know, because everybody's in on it. Everybody's, this is the way we're going. This is the right way. And there's a lot of people making money off it at that point. Yep. And greed in and of itself is a powerful enough tool, Yeah, I think, for the train to run like it. I, you know. Oh, yeah. I'd also believe there's potentially more than just greed. Right. But greed in and of itself, even if you take it on face values, like you said, once that. I mean, when you kind of look back at the mRNA vaccines and kind of even some of the backstories and how they were developed, it does, it, it, it just, it, you know, it's, it's baffling to me. And I just come from a standpoint of actual curiosity because I'd kind of paid attention to mRNA therapy. Sure. I mean, they weren't called vaccines. Right. They yeah, they weren't but, until recently, were you they? You know, mRNA therapies. And I was, you know, when, when I first started hearing about them, I was kind of a fan because I was like, if you can go in and you can genetically manipulate faulty DNA that's causing a cancer or an autoimmune disease or some other genetic disorder um, that a person has. And you could fix that by, you know, this, so, you know, my first, you know, hearing about that type of technology, which was, this has been years ago, yeah, years ago, well before we ever thought about COVID-19, I thought, you know, this, it piqued my interest. I thought, you know, this could be good stuff one day, you know. But on the other hand, I, well, my thought was, well, if you start manipulating DNA, right, things can also go really, really Yeah, we're in deep bad. water at that point. Yeah, you're yeah. in deep water. Yeah. So while, yeah, it has the power to do real good, yep. it also has the power to do real bad. Yeah. And um, so and when, they were, when I first started hearing them talking about developing vaccines for COVID, I wasn't, I mean, I'm a classically trained pharmacist and uh-huh. you know, certainly wasn't an anti-vaxxer sure. uh, prior, to, prior to all this stuff. I mean, yeah, unfortunately, um, a lot of us have been shoved into what's called that category you know, now. Uh, you know, prior to all this stuff. Um, and I was like, okay, well, if we can come up with a yeah. vaccine for it, then, you know, you know if Absolutely. in the traditional sense of yeah. vaccines. Uh, but then when I saw how they were pushing this, uh, the mRNA technology, yeah, um, it definitely concerned me because I did know enough about animal trials and that, you know, and how they affected the animals that they right. were trying, and how they never, it had never made it past animal trials, right? Yeah, into humans, yeah, and that's that's unbelievable for me. Again, as a layperson who just wanted to do a little homework on my own, I don't even remember what spurred me toward that. But I, at some point, whatever, maybe it was the Holy Spirit, maybe it was just common sense, I don't know. But I thought, as I began hearing about the mRNA uh, vaccine developments, maybe it was a few doctors here and there, health professionals that maybe gave some word of warning that I happened to hear. But I thought, you know what, let me go and look at this technology. 
And again, just as someone who doesn't have a medical background, I was able to research it really quickly uh, on online and find what you said, that there had never been an mRNA treatment that had made it through the trial process into, into use for humans. So this was a brand new technology that had never passed, fully passed clinical trials. And we're, we are now applying this broadly across the entire global population. You don't have to be a doctor. You don't have to be a, a pharmacist or a scientist or anyone else to, to think, whoa, that's pretty big. You know, that we might ought to slow down just a little bit. And especially when you couple that with the the data, which you pointed out earlier, which showed that this disease was affecting a specific population, those with comorbidities and those over a certain age. Yes, there were others, you know, and, and even may, listeners, you know, maybe you have a loved one that was affected by this and maybe even have lost someone uh, to this disease. And, you know, my heart goes out to every person who's, who's been affected. To, to, and we probably all have in some way. Absolutely. Know? But that doesn't mean that we then can to use, we can throw wisdom out the door and precaution out the door to, to use anything and everything, because often that will actually lead to worse consequences when you don't think through what you're doing and the actions that you're taking to mitigate one thing, you often can cause unintentional things. All right. So yeah, there's a lot to unpack with what you just said there. Um, a lot getting back to operation warp speed and these vaccines getting put on the market. Um, really in about a year's time uh, again just going back it had this type of technology had never been tested in a human being mm-hmm. most vaccines you know throughout the history of our vaccines you know would take 20 to 30 years yeah before you know they were developed and you know fully in the market and ready for right. you know use in, in in the whole population you know with informed consent um so now we got a new technology never been tested in a human yeah it had bad outcomes in the animals that it had been tested on something that literally manipulates your dna i mean these mrna vaccines forced your dna to produce the spike protein mm-hmm. in the absence of any natural spike protein so right this is when I was already frustrated and already seen all the warning signs and all the red flags, but this is when it really started to really, really change, you know, I guess my, my perspective on how the world, at least how America works. Um, mm-hmm. Try to stay medical with it, but it, it'd be hard pressed to not understand where we are politically. Uh, when this stuff started coming down, especially when they first started, the vaccine first came out and started talking about mandates. Um, And I'm not, we won't get into that, but I was, you know, very well versed and well aware of the political climate in America and all over the world because that's kind of the political climate is a world. Yeah, and, and like it or not, that's what drives a lot of decisions, you know, even more often than whatever field you're talking about you may where we're talking about space exploration or whatever else and even even more important than the scientific possibility of let's say conducting some study 
uh, you know, outside the Earth's atmosphere, study ABC. Well, is study ABC going to make certain politician look good and get the right money in the right hands of the right people? Then, yes, we're going to do that regardless of whether whether it's the best course of action or not. So, yes. Absolutely. So, yeah, that, politics that, that detour everything. there is absolutely correct. So this is, But this is where, from a medical, as a clinician standpoint, that I started getting really frustrated and, like, completely disillusioned or disenfranchised right. or disenchanted, whatever you want to call it, with yeah. our medical system in the United States and the way it was handled. Because, again, new technology, never been tested in a human being. Right. Bad outcomes in the animals that it had been tested in. And within a year's time, you're telling me it's safe and effective and within a few months, you're telling me there's no long-term health issues associated with this thing. Yeah. And the whole entire medical community, well, not the whole entire, but the medical establishment was completely on board with this. Yeah. Every clinician, every physician, every pharmacist should have said, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. What is going on here? Yeah. And what happened so to those who we, did? Yes. And that's, yeah. well, that's what happened. The people that did, you yeah. started getting canceled. Your credentials were taken away. Your medical license was taken away. Yeah. Um, which was also more huge red flags to me. It's something that had never been happening like this. I mean, yeah. you know, you can go to two different orthopedic surgeons and they have two different tech, two different techniques, two different completely ways of treating you, two different ideas of how your rehab should be. Uh-huh. And they're both accepted and that's okay you can go to two different cardiologists they may have different diagnosis or may look at you different have different ways they want to treat you and that's okay but now here all of a sudden within a year's time or a little more than a year's time with this new technology this is something that everybody needs everybody yeah there's never been a therapy in the history of medicine that everybody needed yeah so you know, this is just something that should have caused everybody's cackles to go up. Yeah. And I want to believe it did. I want to believe that. Yeah. Um, I do want to believe that, but I really do believe that there was, I think some people were blinded by the science, and I want to put that yeah. in quotes, and, right. you know, trademarked. And then some people, I think, were just scared. They didn't want to rock their boat. Yeah. You know, yep. for how their professional careers go and their families. That's right. I, I mean, I get it. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I mean, I, I'm, you know, I, in some ways I can understand that, but it just, to me, became so much bigger yeah. than that. Yeah. And that's a tough one because I'm, I'm with you. I understand. I understand that sometimes taking the principled stand costs you something. And when you have a family to take care of, that's, difficult and you have to weigh that out and say is it is it worth it you know on this particular issue and i think that's i think that's where just based off of my observations which aren't worth much but i think that's where a lot of people in the health community fall as they had the red flags go up they realized that this was not normal that this may not be the best course of action but they were scared of speaking out. They were scared that they may become ostracized or they may lose some career opportunity. Because if 
for those that may not know, there were many doctors that that did question uh, what was going on with this. For sure. Uh, yeah, and, and whether it was with alternative uh, treatments, alternative medicines that we knew, again, had a track record of safety, whether it was with uh, the the questioning the idea that that this shot should be given to everyone now uh, there were some doctors that um, came up with a statement called the great barrington declaration which you're pr- probably familiar yeah, with very familiar yeah and essentially they yeah they were not even uh saying don't do this they were saying let's let's target protection yeah, toward those who are at risk absolutely which is, a, which is, is how any other medicine would be practiced prior to COVID. very reasonable yes and they were they were kicked off of social media platforms they were subjected to uh personal attacks and their their reputations and characters maligned i'll, I'll give a little at sh- the recommendation of the federal government might you add at the yes as we're finding out more and more yes thank you for that the, as the twitter files continue to drop we're seeing uh, we're seeing more and more that the federal government was involved in manipulating these social media companies to ban certain individuals or certain um, viewpoints. Viewpoints, absolutely, yeah. So the, it, I feel like the the past few years for me personally has been like a continual waking up of of a slumber that I, I expected. I had this assumption that the authority agencies of particularly of the US federal government were were mainly trustworthy were mostly trustworthy yeah and that has been just destroyed Completely my trust and yeah. has really Mine been destroyed. as well unfortunately one of the one of the uh, cases uh, along the lines of what we're talking about was with Robert Malone who was one of the the pioneers of this mRNA technology uh, pretty early on he came out <coughs> excuse me I can't remember exactly what aspect he was questioning, but generally he was questioning the the overall very narrow-minded focus of vaccinate everyone and the safety of these. In the uh, middle of a pandemic. In the middle of a pandemic, yeah. I mean, there's a whole other uh, idea. So I'm not sure, I'm not sure with Robert Malone exactly what he was questioning on it, but I remember pretty early on, I heard his name and thought, I was listening to what he was saying. I think I found him maybe on Twitter or something like that. I listened to some of his concerns. Uh, and I saw in some major publications, I don't remember if it was the New York Times or Newsweek or one of those you know, big publications, pretty quickly thereafter I saw uh, an article come up about Robert Malone. Who is Robert Malone? So I, I looked. I thought, okay, well, this is a guy who has concerns about the path that we're taking you know, at large – uh, very quickly, and I thought, okay, well, let me let me see what this article says about this guy. And I pulled it up, and it was the entire article in a major publication was an ad hominem attack. It was just a, a character maligning uh, his reputation, and it was so silly. I looked at there was very little uh, true substantive attacks. It was mostly just. Uh, it didn't use his own words. It didn't use his own actions. It was was so and so said that it was a he said he said he said she said type of thing. So and so says that Robert Malone did this or is untrustworthy or blah blah blah. And I just read through it and I thought this is ridiculous. This is like a grade school attack of 
you know, um, one friend saying another friend is has cooties or something. I mean, it was really not much beyond that. And to me, that was an indicator that I've learned, and that's something I want to explore in this podcast and hopefully try to nail down some of these principles of heuristics of, of kind of the way to think about things quickly to think, okay, what should I give credibility to and what should I discount pretty quickly? Well, when I see a major publication that's, that is slamming this individual and then I read through that publication, I realize there's no substance there. To me, I think, okay, maybe, maybe I should listen to this individual because obviously there's some people, some money, some power, some influence that doesn't want people listening to this individual, but they don't have they don't have the substance to say here's what here's why their arguments are wrong if they can't tell you why their arguments are specifically wrong that's it yeah it's it's silly it's a logical fallacy you know so that's what that was one of the things again another aha moment for me yeah that's it when they started you know canceling dr malone dr mccullough and yeah peter mccullough people like that i was yeah i mean these are folks with illustrious careers that have you know never been controversial uh, before yes and uh, this whole thing it just again that that's at that point when i started realizing how big this right was and how much bigger this was than you know you kind of think as a practitioner as a as you know these physicians or a pharmacist or whatever that you have autonomy mm-hmm. to to make the right choices for your patient sure this was a big wake-up call that you know well just maybe you don't yeah um because People weren't allowed to look at the data and, you know, make decisions for yeah. themselves on what they, you know. I, I'm hoping that individually, one-on-one inside the office, that these decisions were made yeah. most of the time. Um, but, you know, you, you kind of see how big it is and where the money's coming from at the right. highest, the most money at yeah. the highest levels yep. that were influencing <laughs> these decisions. So, you know individual facilities individual organizations um really had no choice in a lot of cases to you know mandate some of the things did you see did you see any of that personally where you were that you would be able to share as far as uh some sort of coercion to toe the line when uh when when it was the it was clear that there there were questions and yet that the directive was we just need to do what the regulatory agencies are saying did you see any of that from your position as a pharmacist yes yes um you know and it ultimately uh led to me parting ways with a facility that i'd spent my whole career and was really planning on spending the entirety of my career with um and it came down there was to be fair to the facility it wasn't an absolute you know, vaccine mandate, uh-huh. but they were mandating testing for unvaccinated employees and uh, periodic testing for, um, and was was just something that at that point I wasn't even willing and comfortable to compromise my position on that. Yeah. Because again, and we hadn't talked much about the health, the health side of the health and fitness side of it. Yeah. Um, but you know, from what I'd seen till that point, I had had COVID. Right. Um, I take very good care of my body through how I eat, how I exercise. When I had COVID, nobody even would have known I had COVID. And um, so, you know, so now and that, and there's plenty of data show, and that's another one of the 
issues that I was the most frustrated with with mainstream media, right. mainstream healthcare, yeah. was of much of a very lack of emphasis on eating healthy, yeah. working out, and getting yourself, getting your immune system right. healthy enough and ready, and natural immunity. We hadn't yeah. talked about natural immunity, which, That's right. which yeah. is, I mean, the natural immunity piece of it is huge and yes. has been the whole time. That's right. the problem. And it's it, not now that now we're three years later. People say we're seeing people say, "Oh well, yeah, natural immunity is a real thing." Well, natural immunity has been a real thing the whole time. There's been studies that show that natural immunity to COVID nineteen was a real thing. It should have been looked at, yeah. but again, it was completely ignored. So, ultimately, that you know the the mandate to test unvaccinated employees that had that you know had not had already had COVID right was not at a higher and there's even data and studies show that the people that were most likely to have severe COVID disease you're more morbidly obese you're more metabolically um, deteriorated mm-hmm. more, more metabolic syndrome disease types you know yep. um, are also more likely to spread the virus right. at a higher rate yeah. because wow. of how they breathe oh wow yeah um, you know, so, I mean and of course you know so there was data I mean there was data at this point that vaccinated Healthcare workers were still being infected. Right. There was data that showed that healthcare workers that were vaccinated actually had viral loads higher mm-hmm. than people that weren't vaccinated. Yeah. You know, and so none of these studies were like end all be alls and should have been just okay because of this study or everything that we do should change based on this study. No, but there was enough data that everybody should have taken a time out and hit pause and said, okay, well, let's look at what we got and maybe relook and revisit some of the recommendations that we make. Um, There was plenty of data showing that young, healthy people who had already been infected with COVID did not need the vaccine Mm -hmm. and were less likely to spread and harm people. Um, it, you know, through spreading and shedding the virus. Yeah. So there was enough data out there at that point, and this was back in October 2022, Yeah. Um, that we should have been able to sit and have a conversation. And that was one of the biggest, most frustrating things to me is that you couldn't sit and have conversations with anybody yeah. about this stuff. Right, yeah. It was completely shut down, and you just had to do what the people above you said you had to do. Yeah, yeah. So, yes, it, there, uh, the, the, the mandates uh, and then some form of coercion yeah. to get the shot right. led to me parting ways yeah. with, and, with and the there facility were, I worked at. There were places I know that that didn't mandate the vaccine, but it was, well, you can't come back to work. So we're not going to fire you, right? We're not going to fire you. We're not you, for not getting getting this vaccine. You just can't come to work. You can't earn a paycheck, you know. So there was always yep. this, which is absolutely ridiculous, you know. Yep. I mean, at, at face value, that's that's you're getting fired. You know, you're losing your your livelihood. Do that for a couple months and continue to pay your mortgage and see how that goes. You know, ugly, dirty, yeah. dirty stuff. But to your point of the data and the studies. One of the things that I continue to notice, and I would I would recommend this for for those who are trying to learn, as I am through this entire um, COVID craziness, is that you mentioned, uh, or we mentioned the name Peter McCullough uh, beforehand, and I uh, began following him uh, through this, among many other great doctors 
And he's not the end-all, be-all. He doesn't know everything. But I saw what I saw from him was that he continually cited scientific data. Mm -hmm. When I heard anyone from the U.S. health regulatory agencies speak or put something out on Twitter or social media or whatever else or on the news, I don't don't watch much news, so I'm not even sure. I don't watch hardly any news. Uh, I get most of my information from online. Um, but independent I, sources, so. yeah, yeah, and I definitely want to hopefully we'll remember to touch on that too. Uh, but I remember seeing such a, a stark contrast between when I would hear uh, Fauci, for example, when I'd hear Dr. Fauci speak, he would hardly ever cite scientific data. He would more use like platitudinous things mm-hmm. like this is safe. You should do this because it's effective, and studies have shown studies. Or he may, he may you know make that, something like that. McCullough would specifically cite the, cite the study, and he would specifically cite the findings of that study. He would say, you know, uh, Smith, Johnson, and Warsby did a study that shows that this, this, you know, whatever. I can't even throw out the language because I'm not a medical guy. But I saw enough, and I would look them up sometimes. I would He would link to them, or, or I'd hear it on a, on a podcast, and I'd go look it up, and I'd see that he was using that in the proper context. And I saw this guy's actually using data, and that's who I want to, to look at for information in regards to how I make decisions for myself and my family and then how I communicate truth you know, to those around me is that I want it to be evidence-based. And I saw that he was consistently using evidence, and I saw that the health regulatory agencies were not. And even where they were, where they would state a, they would cite a study, I would see immediately that that study, there would be multiple individuals, you know, the decentralization of, of analysis and information through social media is an incredible phenomenon that, that really, there are such smart people that are not in positions of power or authority, but they are incredibly brilliant. And through social media, you're able to to connect with some of these people and and let them sort through the data and see you know some of these conclusions and help guide you in the right way. So back to what I was saying, when the health regulatory agencies often would cite some sort of study, I would see these individuals post you know threads or really it was on Twitter because so much was being um, prevented on Facebook and YouTube and things like that. Um, but particularly on Twitter until they got suspended, I would see a very reasoned response to say this study uh, doesn't hold water for these reasons. It was it was designed to show a particular outcome, and you can see it through A, B, C, D, mm-hmm. and E. Yeah. And I, and again, not being a medical professional, I could look at it and go, "Well, that absolutely makes sense." You know. Well, there's lots of examples of that, but one, probably the the funniest and most insane study that where they what that they used to for the mask yeah. mandates yeah. and the mask was despite decades of randomized control trials that showing that masks, you know, not a cloth mask, but even surgical masks do not work to stop the spread of respiratory pathogens. Yeah. There's, I mean, there were pl- plenty of that, but the study that they actually used I say study, we're going to have to put that in quotes. Right. Too. It was an anecdotal look at, Two hairdressers, yeah, that wore masks and did the hair on like a hundred and sixty something, yeah, people, yeah, and it didn't, and they had COVID and it didn't spread to those one hundred sixty something, right? People. Yeah, I mean, 
This that would overrode. get you laughed out of any type of professional school you were right. in if you tried to take this as your main argument yeah. to do something for a whole population. Yep. You know, um, and so, again, it was just part of the... But then there's, so let, there's we, many, many different examples. You open like that, that can of worms, so let's, uh, let's go ahead and get into it. The masks. The masks. What? I, I have... I have my own um, journey that led me to a better understanding of what masks can and cannot do. Uh, now, why, again, the mandates or the instructions from uh, the health regulatory agencies were what they were, I, I, I do not know. I do not know why they would say things that that doctors as you mentioned, for years of studies would show this is not correct, and yet they would say, we'll do it anyway. Do it. You know, why on earth uh, would that happen? Uh, but for me, uh, what, hap- where, what led me down that path was, you know, I don't remember what point of the, of the last three years that this was, but uh, I, I stumbled across, again, just doing my own research, I stumbled across uh, an individual, um, Emily Burns was her name, and I, I, I'm not even sure who, what her background is, who she is, uh, but I saw some of the things that she was posting on social media, and I, I read her articles and thought this individual is able to use reason and and, and take data exactly and 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 find a, a reasonable conclusion from that. And uh, she wrote an article called "Airborne Transmission in Should Mean Masks Out," which essentially is just saying what you just said. That once it was recognized and confirmed that COVID was spread uh, th- primarily through respiratory aerosols, through virus-carrying respiratory aerosols, that that should have meant we understood to this point that masks do little to no good, uh, and and that we don't know the potential negative effect, a uh, negative um, potential negative uh, effects of masking for a long time an entire population i mean mm-hmm. kids in their in their formative developmental years you know we're we're sticking masks on them every mm-hmm. day for 8 12 hours a day uh, unbelievable yeah but this this detailed analysis for me it 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 made it very clear that based off the size of the particle uh, and the and the ability of masks to um uh to stop uh, certain size respiratory aerosols uh, that it was less of uh, a masking problem; it was a or filtration problem. It was more of a, a physics problem. Mm-hmm. It was an, it essentially any gap around the mask whatsoever. Uh, you know, put a piece of of a cloth in front of your face and just blow into it, and put your your hand back here, and you'll see that ninety percent of that mm-hmm. uh, respiratory aerosol does not go filter through the cloth. It comes out the side, out the gap. You know, wherever any gap is. And you could see, as you mentioned, what, you know, the cloth masks or even the surgical masks or whatever. So not to mention the size of the virus particles, the size that went right through um, what's happening when you're breathing in all that particles for seven, eight hours a day, right back into your own body. Yeah. Um, You know, basically to get viruses not to pass through when you breathe is to have to have something over your face and where you can't breathe. I mean, we're talking about the size of the particles. I mean, it's... um, yeah, it, it's, I mean, the science behind what we already knew, what people, I mean, you, you heard, you know, OSHA people that yeah. deal with masks and regulate what, you know, they would, they were trying to say, look, this is not what masks are designed to do. Yeah. I mean, 
whistles were blown all over the place uh, yes. on, at every step of the way yeah. on all of this stuff. Yeah. Again, which just leads you to believe how big how big it was. And getting to the mask and why, I mean, I, I think that was kind of one of the points where I realized, man, I knew economically China had kind of had us, uh, you know, o- o- over the years. But this really, the first thing I saw were other policies and we started seeping in to be mm-hmm. more like an authoritarian, yeah. authoritarian regime like right. China. Yeah. Like, that's basically the China model for how to handle COVID yeah. was what most of the rest of the world outside of Sweden and a few yeah. other places that won yeah. COVID sweepstakes. Um did yeah and so you, it was like a, it, it was totally eye-opening well, was one of the first things really eye-opening that the america we thought we knew or i thought i knew right i guess the america that i thought i knew sure. was not the america anymore that i thought i knew yeah and you have there's there's plenty on record of these individuals at the top praising china saying we should we should do more like what they did you know and i think that goes back to some of the fundamental reasons that that all of this transpired in the way it does which is the corruption of human nature is the desire to control mm-hmm. and and i think you can see that when when you have an emergency situation you know so to speak that's that's the situation where you will hear it argued that well the government needs all of these extraordinary powers in an emergency situation to keep people safe but to be honest with you, that's when they need the least amount of powers because the human – you look throughout history and the desire to control by individuals is – is it's well documented and it often leads to disastrous consequences because we are prideful. We are arrogant. We don't remain humble and, and allow others' opinions and realize, like we talked about earlier, that we make a few steps in and go, oh, wait, there's a new – piece of evidence that we need to consider and that might change everything that we've done up to this point but oh then that might make me look bad so i'm not going to do that i'm not going to i'm going to downplay that piece of evidence and continue trucking right ahead you know absolute power corrupts absolutely that's it that's it that's what we're seeing i think on a grand scale it is kind of what we're seeing you know and um you know getting slightly off topic from what we've been talking about here but it goes along with how covid was handled and how we're seeing other aspects of our culture and our society and our government, you know, and since this is a faith-based podcast and a yeah. Christian-based podcast is, you know, this huge attack on, you know, t- removing God and removing mm-hmm. faith um, from America, you know, and it yeah. hits us in every, every aspect of our life. Yeah. You can't even watch a commercial on TV. Right. Can't watch a ball game. Yeah. Um, without seeing something that, you know, tries to either – disrupt the family unit or remove God in mm-hmm. some, whether big way or small way, um, you know, from, because again, you know, my faith is what, you know, just kind of allowed me to see it, you know, and just knowing that I knew that the Lord was going to work it out and had yeah. other plans. If this was where, you know, this job ended that, you know, you know, it was, it was just faith that the Lord was going to provide, going to take care as long as I stayed faithful, um, you know, that I he think- was always going to be faithful to me. And, uh, you know, so, but that's what the government wants to do. They want a, which is, again, that's one I've always talked to people who had gone to China and visited China, yeah. whether it's family who had adopted kids there or, or other people. They said, you know, that, you know, the Chinese communist government, it's not that they 
hated Christianity per se because they were just so – it was just the fact that anything that took the people's mind, faith off the government yeah. and the, you know, and yeah. the CPP, right. that's what they hate. They could really care less if somebody was a Christian or not. Yeah. It wasn't like they hated that person just because they were a Christian. They hate Christianity because they know that it's people are stuff that they're 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 serving something other. Yeah, us it's something way bigger. Yep. But to the you know these authoritarian yeah. governments, it's something other than them. If you rely on a God, you rely on Christ as yeah. your savior for your strength and your family, then you don't need you don't need the authoritarian right. government. Yeah, and yeah. Um, of course I know that's way off. Track no, of that's, but I mean that's that's good. Because I see it, it, it. It's all connected, though. It is all connected. It is all connected, and that's why you know I said we could we could talk for forty eight hours on this and and just scratch the surface. Yeah, <laughs> but but I think that's an that's an important aspect. And I, let's go there for a minute because, as you mentioned, this you know the 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 idea of this the podcast is looking at these issues from a from a lens of the Christian faith and. With that, I saw a lot of a variety of responses from professing Christians during this time. Absolutely. Granted, what the government did was chose to tell churches in certain locations, you cannot gather together. You know, you cannot gather together in, indoors or, or whatever um, to varying degrees, different countries, different areas around the world. But what the things that you saw staying open were, well, the liquor stores can stay open, the strip clubs can stay open, you know, the bars can stay open. What just yep. so we you saw right there, okay, this this just doesn't make sense, you know, it doesn't make sense. But you mentioned uh, you mentioned your faith and your faith, you know, as a confidence that God is in control, and I think that's that is one of the reasons that individuals that do not know the Lord and do not have a relationship with him through Christ often move either so quickly to be the one controlling because they have a fear that there is no one in control. Mm-hmm. So so then who's going to be in control? Well, it's got to be me. Better be me. Or the people that that I'm will controlled. sign up for that. Exactly, because well, you know, if that's my god now. We all want a god. Absolutely. We all need a, a god to to lead us and we know the true god, you know. But if you don't have that, then you're going to look to an idol. You're going to look to a man. You're going to look to an organization. You're going to look to a cause, whatever, that has all the answers. So you can say, well, well, they know, and I'm going to jump in with them because it gives you a, a false sense of security. So on the other end of that spectrum, that doesn't mean that we, we are ignorant or we can, we can avoid our responsibility of looking for wisdom and understanding and evidence to to determine our own course of action, right? Uh, so you may have had, uh, I've, I've seen or heard stories of individuals that may, uh, let's, let's say didn't believe COVID was even real or thought, I'm not going to get treatment. I'm not going to even think about doctors or whatever. I'm just going to trust that God will protect me from it and heal me from it, you know? And that's... I don't believe that that is a biblically based, mature Christian worldview to do that. God gave us our reasoning capacity for a reason, you know, to use it. It's a, it's an incredibly Absolutely. powerful tool, and for us to lay that tool aside and and 
that's not f- the faith that I see of the Bible. The faith that I see of the Bible is a confidence in the person of God. It's not a hope that he'll do whatever I want him to do. You know, it's faith and work, right? I trust yep. in God and I'm going to give all the tools that he's, I'm going to use all the tools that he's given me at my disposal to be the most responsible representative of his kingdom on this earth that I can. Yeah, that's a great point. And honestly, you know, I mean, I think as people of faith, I know for me personally, that's the one thing that kind of gets me through, uh, you know, right now when mm-hmm. I see everything that kind of is going on in the world from a global perspective and how close it, you know, it hits home, you know, now, um, I think just going to the Bible and looking at looking at the Bible from beginning to end, you know, from, yeah. from creation, you know, um, you know, from Noah to Abraham to Job to David to the disciples, you know, it's uh, you know pretty much every story, none of, in every period of time there were things that were going on that's exactly going on in our world today. You know, yeah. the Bible said there's nothing new under the sun, so God knows all this. Um, and to me, I know it sure it helps me know that we serve a God that knows, and He knows that this is not the final thing. No matter what happens in our earth and our country, yeah. you know, right now, right, he, he, you know, He knows, and and as believers, we know that we we know what the true outcome of the story is, and there's a lot of comfort in that. Uh, it would be hard to do life without that faith. Yeah. And to just believe that there's nothing more than what we're living in right now. Right. And that this is it. Yeah. I've seen I've seen individuals who do not profess to know Christ, do not profess to have that assurance of salvation that as as Christians we would uh we would say that we have. Uh and and yet somehow they're still pursuing objective truth and to me i don't know how they're doing it because i it's there's so much um, i hate to use the word because it's of the the current connotation of it but misinformation you know uh normally more information is a good thing but there's if you look through there's so much information that's incorrect or misguided uh, or biased uh, so to to be able to sort through that, we we have a compass. We always know where true north is. This is this is God, and this is His plan for mankind, as as revealed in the Bible. And if if what we're seeing and saying and thinking and the actions we're taking don't correspond to that, they don't line up with that, then they're we're not right. Feel it. Yeah, and we're gonna feel it. That's right. You're yeah, gonna know it. You're gonna know it in your heart. You yeah, know, you're gonna know it. Yeah, I agree. I mean that. And just getting back into a whole kind of a little bit different tangent on misinformation. I think there is, you know, so much information out there that people just want the nuggets. Yeah. And they want a source they can go to to get a nugget of information yeah. without knowing the whole information. And I think that's a great and, place to kind of to wrap us up, you know, is what do you say to those individuals? Because that's, I know, understand that and not everybody has the personality that I have that, I, that is going to stay up a little later at night and search through mm-hmm. the actual studies, you know, that, that these doctors are referencing or whatever. And it may not be a pandemic. Maybe it's, you know, something else where you're hearing competing uh, viewpoints of competing narratives of what's actually going on. And you have to, in the middle of that, you've got to live life every day and you got to make decisions for yourself and your family. What, what advice would you have? What have you learned through this? Where should they go? What could they look at? 
That's a great question. Um, yeah, the Bible's number one. Yeah, I mean that's number one. You got to stay in the Bible. You, you know, you got to know what Jesus tells us to do. Mm-hmm. You got to know God's heart and His direction for your life, for our lives. Um, because, like I said, that's your compass. Yeah. So, well, and then you use that if if you come across information that something just doesn't feel right. Yeah. Question it. Yeah. And go out and search for a different perspective. Yeah. You don't even have to agree complete. I mean, you know, I guess that's another thing with information here that and we've gotten to a point in society where even if it's a person, you you almost can't agree with a point that's or a perspective on somebody if you disagree with some other point. If you, mm-hmm. if there's something about that person or their message that you disagree with, you just yeah. almost are taught to just to right. throw them to yeah. you can't, you know. Yeah. But, you know, so look at other perspectives and see – it's like teams. You're either on my team yeah, or the other team, yeah, you're and, on, and, there's and no you're my enemy. Between, you know, yeah, no, no common ground. There's, you know, there's lots of, like you said, there's lots of really smart people with interesting experiences and interesting expertise that have really good information in certain aspects. So, and it's really good to, and again, it can be hard to find, but it's certainly not impossible. Yeah, we've I, done a good job, and we've figured out sources and people that you know yeah. through these explorations that. Sure provide us with good information and again yeah. they're not perfect i mean there are people i get information from covid that almost agree with everything they say about covid but and I almost disagree with everything they say about every other <laughs> right but you know so yeah so it's learning you know and and and, and, and sifting through the information to yeah. find finding truth because yeah. very rarely what you hear on the surface is the absolute truth and i think it's work you know that's that's one thing about it i understand like i said that not everyone's going to work the same way i work at it uh but everyone it's our responsibility as a as a human being created in god's image to represent him on this earth and all that we say think and do we have to do the work of finding truth you know we have to do the work of discovery of listening to different perspectives of thinking of critical thinking and seeing is does this line up with a biblical worldview you know does this make sense in the context of christianity yeah absolutely and and that's you know it takes work it takes reading it takes you know listening and i would say you know i i've for the most part uh i I have a, a ne- I would say negative, uh, very skeptical view of legacy media or mainstream media or what you would turn on the TV and see for the most part, you know, it's, and for a good reason. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. It's for good. It's not. It's not because I'm mad at someone or because I'm you know skeptical of life. It's just that I've watched uh, over the years. I've paid enough attention to see the way that they portray certain events and, and people and ideas. And then I look at the I look at the actual facts behind it, and I realize well that's not true. You know what they're saying is as biased or slanted or whatever. So I would definitely encourage everyone to seek out alternative sources of media, whether it's uh, on social media uh, or online. Um, there's a there's a I, I, I hesitate to give like endorsements and say names and things like that, but 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 you have to. You know I, I feel like I have I have to give. Um, suggestions because if someone is coming at this from the point of I don't know where to start you got to give them somewhere to start so um, I would say one of the things that I look at is if someone professes to have a Christian worldview that's at least a point in their favor right and Correct. then then look at the fruit of their life right if they're professing to be a Christian but they're 
uh, spouting, you know, uh, uh, some sort of hateful or racist rant or whatever, then you realize, okay, let's that person's going to be discounted or whatever. But if they profess to be a follower of Christ, or or even if they just profess the virtues of Christianity, uh, and then you then you look at their life and it seems to be somewhat aligned, you know, the things you see, the things you read and, and say, they don't directly contradict um, the beliefs of Christianity or the virtues of, of Christianity, then I'll, I'll listen to them and I'll, and I'll listen a little more and say, okay, well, what are they, what are they, exactly are they saying? So without going too far into suggested sources, I do want to save that for another podcast because that's that's such a big topic in itself. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm not gonna make recommendations right now, uh, but I will be doing a future podcast. So if you want to uh, be on the lookout for that, where I offer some of the the sources and the people that I've seen seem to really hold water throughout this, and not just with what's been uh, said over this whole COVID era, but in general, you know, whether it's life or politics or culture or whatever, just some, some good resources that people can, can tune into. So, but I do think that's probably, uh, we've taken enough of your time today. You actually got to work for a living. So I know got to get <laughs> time to get back to it. So I don't want to stop that. So, uh, Lance, thank you so much, man. It's been, Adam, uh, I've enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you having me and um, you know, we, we started on this low bar, and maybe a future guest you can raise a little bit. That's higher, right. But. That sounds good. <laughs> well, thanks, everybody, for joining us on the Somewhat Helpful Podcast. And, uh, tune in next time. Subscribe on social media channels, whatever you do. You know how to like it and, uh, you know, do all of those things. I don't even know what to say on that, but just do everything you're supposed to do. Hit uh, subscribe for, and like. There you go. Hit subscribe and like for more content coming out, uh, and we'll see you next time.